This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Today's episode focuses on the parable of the sower, found in Matthew 13, 1-23. Together, we will be discussing what the parable has to say about discipleship practices within the present-day American church. Hi, I'm Nick. My name's Natasha. I'm Brittany. And I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast. And today we're going to be diving into Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. And uh, we're going to have Natasha read that for us and uh, kind of go from, from there with reflection. So, Tosh, would you take that away? So, this is the parable of the sower, which is Matthew 13, 1 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up and plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen, then, to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So there's our passage. Um, 
pretty long, but what are what are some observations that we maybe have um, some foundational pieces that maybe would be important for us as we dive into a conversation on it? Jesus takes the posture much like he did in the Sermon on the Mount, where he he takes this position of of a teacher. He comes and sits by the lake, and the, the crowd gathers around him. So it's the same kind of posture that he took previously in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. And so he's coming with this this time of teaching. That's the first thing that I, I kind of take from this passage. I, I think kind of with that is uh, just the first few words. That same day, Jesus went out. And so I think it's important that we always remember, I mean, it's always important to keep scripture in context with the verses that are around it. But I think that the author of Matthew does something important here with that very statement to make sure that the reader doesn't divorce it from the conversation that was happening in chapter 12. Um, and so he is just continuing on this idea uh, that everything that has been addressed in chapter 12 still applies here. So, I mean, we've just finished the conversation on uh, what it means to be in the family uh, or to be a part of the family, right? And Jesus identifies that those who uh, obey um, my Father in heaven, who, who uh, do the will, sorry, do the will of my Father in heaven, are, my, are in my family. So I think that's something that we need to carry forward into this. So the other piece is we're kind of, as Jesus kind of moves into this teaching conversation, there's really four um, different types of soil that he addresses. And so um, Jesus kind of, or um, takes on this, this character of the farmer. Um, and then, and he's the one kind of scattering seed here. And it falls on these different types of soil, indicating that it's falling on these different types of people. And so, um, I think it would be worthwhile for us to take a look maybe at each of those different types of soil and types of people and just kind of share a little bit about that. Okay. So first, first type of soil, um, what what's that? That's the the soil, or that's the the ground along the path, right? Um, so what what are your thoughts on that? What what is what does that mean? What does that look like for a person to be a, the ground along the path? It's well worn, so like there there's nowhere for the seed to penetrate, the, like the root to to take hold. It can't penetrate, so right. It's it's left exposed, and so it's it's really vulnerable which is why the birds are so easily able to come and, or the evil one is so easily able to come and snatch away what um, kind of the goodness of God that's been proclaimed in, in somebody's life. Um, so the next piece is you're looking at the rocky places. And so it doesn't have very much root. Um, and I don't know, as I read this one, uh, there's somebody that we kind of, we, we actually all know um, and that, this kind of brought to my mind and this person, when they came to know Christ, I mean, it was a radical transformation story kind of for them, um, coming out of a life of like addiction to, um, prescription drugs and just ready to go out into the neighborhoods around us and, um, just, just proclaim God's goodness and deliverance in his life to share with others. And so, um, and then like he stood up, you know, and I remember this, there was a prayer night and I remember him standing up and bearing testimony, um, to what God had done and then what God was calling him to. Mm -hmm. And I think 
everybody in the church was was moved by this and they're inspired by this um but like what he was feeling inside and what God was calling him to, he couldn't transfer, um, at least to, to, to this particular congregation. And so um, nobody came alongside of him. Nobody stepped up and, and, and helped him or empowered him to, to live into or held him accountable to these things that God was calling him to do, to go into the deep places of the city and find people like him or were trapped in addictions um, to help bring deliverance. And so you watched this man, right, in this, this soil where his roots aren't very deep, but man, he's passionate and on fire for God. And then um, it just, the sun comes up, right? And nobody does anything. And the next day, the sun comes up and no one moves with him. And slowly, this just withers and he returns back to his old life in time because nobody's come alongside of him. And, and I know his story, like his story is one instance, but I don't think it's unique, yeah. I think all the time we see people in the church who are radically changed or they have an encounter with God and because the rest of us aren't experiencing it with them, it's like it's not as real to us. And so we miss that opportunity to cultivate the soil in in or the lives of these people to bring about the transformation and the deep roots that um, we know that our sower desires of us. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I was reading a, a little bit about this, um, and the commentator that I was reading talked about how because the rocks are in the soil, it is actually preventing the the root from actually getting down to the water, right, where life is found. And so it doesn't take long, right? The sun comes up and it withers, and the reason it doesn't take long is because it can't get to the source of the water. So there's this residual water that's in the soil that that life is able to be found in initially. But when that evaporates because the sun comes out, there's nothing left to sustain life. And so it dies. And yeah, I think I think you bring up a really important point there about like when somebody is confronted with the truth, the seed, right? when the seed is sown into their life, truth penetrates their heart, it, man, it's important for us to come alongside and begin to, I guess for lack of a better term, or to go along with the parable to help dig. So that way that root can find the life, the, the life-giving water that we know that Jesus is, right? Um, so yeah, I, man, that's good. What about this uh, this third category of soil? This this seed that falls among the thorns. I know this one. This one for me was I, I grabbed my attention, but I don't want to like be the first one to jump in if somebody else has something to say. So I'll give a moment. I think that there are a lot of people that can fall into this. You know, you get. Uh, a lot of things going on in life and life can can choke you out. You can be distracted by so many things going on and that's kind of what a you know commentator I read was talking about so many distractions and things going on in life that that we we miss what Jesus is trying to do. And so it's easy to get choked out because so many things are vying to try to give us 
air, so to speak. The problem is, is those things that are trying to give us air don't have oxygen that we need to breathe. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy to get choked out when you're, you know, caught in life's traps. I think the, the thorns, I think that, um, describes a lot of the, um, people that we come in contact with, um, in our communities and in our circles. Um, because in verse 22, it talks about, um, the deceit, deceitfulness of wealth. Um, that is, I've found that that is the hardest people to share the gospel with because they don't, ha they don't have a need or they can't see their need. They are self-reliant They're They have, you know, they're, they're not having money trouble. They're not in addiction. They're not, you know, at rock bottom. Um, so those are the most difficult, I think, in kind of our circle where we're at. Um, those are, those are the difficult, um, people to reach out to. So though they see that they're seeing, they don't see, and though they're hearing, they, they don't hear. You can't hear when, you know, all those things are choking you out. Yeah, I think, uh, I think I would probably take it further based on what you guys were saying and the thing that, that hit me about this. And I agree with you, Brittany, that this is a lot of the people that we encounter. And I don't know, maybe the first time we're together like this is not the time to like throw this out there. But as I read it, man, the thing that hit me was this is, I think, where the majority of the church finds itself is in this category. Because in, in verse 22, no, 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 where is it? Where is it? Oh, yeah, verse 22. Right. So you have, like you said, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. But this this last three words making it unfruitful. It's not that the plant dies. It's not that the plant doesn't look like the plant. It's that the plant is not bearing fruit. And so like for me, I, I read this and I was like, oh, my goodness, like the the soil, the, the seed that's sown among the thorns is for all intents and purposes, this plant looks like the plant of soil number four. The only difference is it doesn't bear fruit. And, and when I, when I think about the state of, of the church today, uh, with, with some of the work that I've been doing for my dissertation, you know, the, the, the church has seen a, and not just the church of the Nazarene, there's specific stats we can look at for that, but the church as a whole in America has seen a 20% decrease. So of all people surveyed in 2000, 45% said that they were practicing Christians, identified as practicing Christians. I recognize that, you know, self-identification can have issues, but 45%. That same group has done a 20-year-long survey, and in 2020, when surveying the, the percentage is down to 25. 25% of people surveyed actually identify as a practicing Christian. And so, I mean, I, I know we're not talking about individuals. We're talking about, you know, the church as a whole. If I were to look at that, that doesn't re reflect a, 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 a plant that is bearing fruit, right? That's not something that's that's multiplying, that's, that's, that's uh, producing, that's yielding a 
a uh, harvest 160 or 30 times what was sown. It's, it's not actually yielding anything. It's, it's just slowly dying. Um, and, and so that, that was the thing that just, I don't know, that, that's the thing that really grabbed me was I think that for, for too many of us, we, I don't know, we, we show up to church and the expectation is to kind of just be good enough, do good enough to get by so that I can encounter Christ, you know, in, in, in eternity it's not about being fruitful and multiplying. Like it is not on our radar for the most part to be yielding a harvest, even twofold. Um, it reminds me of that, you know, from letters to the church where where Francis Chan talks about. You know, we go to church with this expectation of what we can get. And that really is kind of like, I feel like that kind of plays into that line of thinking. Like we go in with this idea of I'm coming here for you to meet my needs. When God hasn't called us to come so that we can have our our needs met in that sense of like, this is about me. No, we're coming to give him glory and honor for what he's done. But, you know, he's also saved us, not just for ourselves alone because there is a world dying around us. And so he's called us to go and make disciples. And so, yeah, that's a scary thought that you can look healthy on the outside right. and be dying on the inside. And I think this is where the first verse of this chapter becomes important. That same day, Jesus went out of the house to make that connection because all of last chapter, man, Jesus, I feel like between chapter 12 and chapter 13, Jesus is drawing a really hard definitive line between what it looks like to actually be in the family of God and the Pharisees and those unsafe, like essentially family of God or Pharisees slash unsaved people. Like he is drawing a hard line and he is, he's saying, this is not something that you have to wonder about. It's pretty easy. Um, and yeah, and, and I feel like this, it, it comes kind of full circle here to this so, but difference between soil three and soil four, where he's saying, there's going to be people that look right. But if you look close enough, you'll realize the fruit's not there. And you had to know you, you have to believe that Jesus, as he's saying this, like he's looking at the Pharisees and the people like the Pharisees. And it's not just that there's even this like fruitfulness, it's the amount of fruitfulness. You know, common to them would have been 10%. Like a 10% yield would have been, increase would have been like an amazing amount. That's what they would have expected. So 30, 60, or 100, it dwarfs that. So it's not like Jesus is just barely like this fruit, like you'll just barely be noticing fruit. No, it'll be like an abundant amount of fruit that you should be noticing in that last soil. So it's, it's significant. So then that makes me ask the question, like, am I yielding fruit that Mm. looks that noticeable? Because, you know, we always talk about discipling, like who, who's following you? Like to be a disciple, somebody is following you. If, if I don't have that kind of fold, like 30, 60, a hundred, like 
that makes me ask the question of like, where am I? Is my heart, am I the, the fruit or the, the plant that's dying? Like I look healthy on the outside. Um, I think of like the, the rich young ruler that came and said, what do I lack? Like go and sell everything you have, give it all away because like none of that's going to matter. And I look back and I'm like, man, Jesus, I'm missing it. Like, I want that, I want that fruit to be obvious, not so people look at me, but so they look and recognize that, like, there's more to this life than just living. I think, I think also, I mean, this is, uh, I feel like a really hard truth. Um, for me, when I begin to think about the thorns um, from the context of being in, being one of the people in the church, um, it's like those thorns kind of almost become those those idols that we don't even want to look at as idols. Um, but it's all too easy for us to be, you know, you know, skip a Sunday here or there for various things or, you know, well, I don't need to do, I don't need to spend time with Jesus today because, you know, um, my kids only have, you know, this this particular activity going on once, you know, and, and it's okay to do it just this once or, you know, and, and not that we're trying to be like, legalistic about it, but it's, it's, it's those thorns and they, they come in and they, they start to choke out. And I think it's a slippery slope. And before you realize it, you're, everything's been choked out by it, whatever, whatever those idols may be. And perhaps I, I go to kids activities cause I feel like that's where we're at right now. So that's, yeah. those are the, those are the things that, that, that seem to, to probably provide the greatest temptation, you know? Um, is it more important for my kids to participate in the extracurriculars that they so enjoy, um, even if that means we don't get to do our like nightly time with Jesus together? Is that an okay thing? Is that you know, it, am I being legalistic if I if I insist that you know we need to do this? I you know I it, it's I think it's a it's, it seems like it's a very, very slippery slope um, into into this this type of soil. And it probably, it, it does, it perfectly describes uh, at least the American church, I feel like. That's yeah. what we can speak to. Cause, right, um, right. But. So my question is, so we see all these different soils and we see the problems. Um, who's responsible for tilling that path? or digging through the rocks, or pulling up those thorns? Who's responsible for that? Well, I mean, normally the farmer is, right? Mm -hmm. Normally the farmer is the responsible one. Um, Who's the hands and feet of the farmer? I'll see. Right, and so that's the thing is we are Christ's ambassadors. Um, We the people of the church, the body of Christ, we are his ambassadors in this life now. Um, so I suppose it's almost like we have a dual role. We are soil, and yet perhaps we have a, sm- a small role to play. I don't want to overstate our role, but a small role to play. as Well, in, in different roles, right? Because we're, we're many parts of the body. We're not all the same. So somebody could very well be taking care of the soil, but... There also has to be someone helping cast seed. I think a great thing to point out here is that 
in the casting of the seed. I don't think that's necessarily the most important important part of this this parable, but uh, I heard it on another podcast um, that that sowing seed. There was never a question of like, who do I sow seed to? Like, there's not a question of if it's indiscriminate. Right. It's every type of soil, and you know what? Leave the results up to Jesus because like I can't. I can't do every part of the process and that's not my job. Like that's why God has the Holy Spirit working on his behalf doing things I can't do, but that doesn't absolve me from either helping in tilling soil or watering or casting seed. And it doesn't matter if somebody says that the seed can't grow in that type of soil. Cause guess what? Jesus can do what, what we can't. Um, when I worked in, in mining, we had this stuff that they sprayed, hydroseed. They would spray it down like when they were done working the ground so that grass would grow. And no matter what they sprayed it on, grass would grow. They sprayed it on rock, grass would grow. Like wherever they sprayed it, the stuff would grow anywhere. And so that's kind of like Jesus. Like uh, like he may call us to cast rock, like seed on a place where somebody says it'll never grow there. And then you see growth take place and something amazing happen like that nobody else could explain or nobody else could, could, could do. I mean, like Jesus is like a hydro seed truck. He sprays <laughs> grass. And if he says it's going to grow there, it's going to grow. But I think it's important to pay it to pay attention to where it's growing. If you see a seed, because we all, I'm a terrible, I'm terrible at growing plants and all of mine are. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I've got one plant that's surviving. But it's important when you see that seed growing that you do whatever you can to help it grow. So if you see there's a rock in the way, help move the rock out of the way. Right. If there is a thorn coming up and not allowing that seed to grow, pull the thorn. Um, or if it's overwhelmed with water overwhelmed with water you know I think when you say that I think back again to this this story we were talking about earlier and that's that was the issue right mm-hmm. where what where were the hands and feet of God and I like I'm among them right like where was the church to step up and say we're gonna we're gonna till this seed we're going to move you know move the rocks um we're going to cultivate this this soil and and so Bad discipleship in the church. Well, when we've it, made it, it costs the, souls. When we've made it the numbers thing, like we have to report all these numbers, right? To an authority that's above us. Unfortunately, like we get so lost sometimes in the numbers that we forget about the heart. So, yeah, because we're, I mean, we're recording. The, the Church of the Nazarene tries to accommodate for this by recording um, salvations, but then also like sanctifications and things are changing, right? Where they're asking for reports of stories monthly from, from pastors, but keep going. But like, I mean to maybe, yeah. And maybe shifting to have more of an emphasis. Um, I know the church globally, maybe outside of the church of the Nazarene has definitely been more focused on the salvation piece. Um, I can't tell you how many times we've been asked, um, like how many people have you saved in the last year? How many, how many people have you led to led to Christ? Um, but nobody wants to know how many people have you discipled in Christ. Um, and perhaps perhaps that our emphasis 
really has to begin to shift. Not that we stop scattering the seed, right? But that it's a both and. But so here's the thing, right? If we continue in the, and obviously all uh, examples or whatever break down at some point, but if we think about this idea of the soil and the good soil, right? The good soil uh, yields, uh, um, has a yield of whatever it was, yields a crop of 160 and 30. Thank you. Um, how does it yield it? Well, when a plant grows and bears fruit, that fruit contains seeds. Those seeds then fall on the ground and grow. And so it's not this, like what I, what we're, we're talking about here, it's not this like forsake the spreading of seed so we can cultivate a plant. It's cultivate a plant so the seeds will continue to be spread over and over and over and over again because we don't just want plants growing because maybe those plants are actually in soil three. We want plants growing that are bearing fruit. And as they bear fruit, they can't help but spread seed. And so, yeah, this whole false dichotomy that has been allowed to exist between evangelism and discipleship and how, you know, it's one or the other, like, like the life of discipleship is a life of evangelism, plain and simple. And there, it, to divide them... I don't know, maybe people would get upset if they heard that, but to, to divide them seems silly to me. It seems silly. Uh, because if we're talking about discipleship, it's not true discipleship if it doesn't lead to somebody <laughs> going out and letting others know about the love of Christ. Yeah, because that is the Great Commission, right? So if we're, we're going to go out and, <laughs> and spread the gospel, then we better make sure we're teaching them to obey everything. Which, as as Hal would would say, includes making disciples. Right, exactly, exactly. I think it's a great example that follows, like you said, what well, what we've seen in, in chapter twelve. He's trying to address people who live like very black and white, very much by the law, and so they know like there's this disconnect between their head and their heart. And I, you know, I don't know how much they were really understanding what Jesus was trying to say. Maybe some of them did understand what he was trying to say at some point, whenever they like that disconnect was cut or whatever, you know, severed, however you want to say it. But there was this, this disconnect and Jesus has a great way of just like bringing it all together. And how fortunate like the disciples were to be with like the one who was, not just like they haven't like the prophets of old who just heard the stories. Now they're they're hearing it like firsthand. It's not like an encounter like Moses had, or it's not an encounter with the Holy Spirit. They're hearing it directly from the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're about out of time, and it seems like there's so much more to talk about because we didn't even get to address the fact that Isaiah was brought into this conversation by Jesus. Um, the one thing I do want to say in association with that really quickly, because I think back to Sunday, some of the conversations that we were having, and it was pointed out that this, 
uh, one person brought up that this doesn't really sound like Jesus completely. Like there, it's just something's different. And for me, I, I think it, it it seems a little harsh, but when we think about when you allow Isaiah to come into this conversation, the passages that Jesus brings up from Isaiah are Isaiah's uh, like essentially standing before the throne room when the seraphim bring in and put the coal on his lips. And what he is told to do is to go and proclaim judgment to the disobedient Israel. Judgment, judgment, judgment. But at the very end of that passage, judgment, like destruction, doesn't have the last word. There is a stump that remains. There is a remnant that exists. And so there is hope that still remains. And so maybe it doesn't sound like doesn't sound like the Jesus at the well. And, and maybe it doesn't sound like the Jesus at the well, but the reality is judgment is, is real as well. And even, even still hope exists, right? Even still, there is the good soil that bears, that yields a, a crop 160 and 30. And that crop or that, that yield continues to seed and continues to spread. And, it's a glimpse of what it is to be in the kingdom of heaven, to participate in the kingdom of heaven. Well, and I think the really quickly, sorry, the Isaiah, um, his his charge to go and and proclaim judgment. I mean, even the judgment is coming in love. Absolutely. The intention is, I proclaim judgment, so you will repent, so you will see, so your eyes will be open, so you will be hearing and and seeing, perceiving, and understanding. And so that's the desire of God's heart through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. So even when we see this, this judgment, the judgment is, is love. And so we can still see the Jesus at the well in that mm. um, because the judgment is, is redeeming for those who hear it and repent. Hopefully so, since so much of what we've talked about has been about the church, which um, is is supposed to be his bride. And so surely there's space for, for repentance in that. Yeah. Where there's a warning, there's a promise. Like we, he has a warning, essentially. He, he, that's how it feels to me. He's, he's warning the, the disciples what's to come. Mm. Yet at the end, he, as he always seems to do, he comes with a promise. Like if then... And, I mean, that's much how the word is. There's always like an, an if and then statement. And so, yes, if you hear, then, you know, the promise has been made. Yeah. It's been sealed in his blood. And so, but how do we apply it? So parables illustrate the kingdom of heaven. Um, they expose us and they're supposed to evoke a response. So this is coming to you straight from uh, Dr. Steve Roadheaver. Um, and Ayo. so he, he, he talked about how per parables really have three purposes. To illustrate, which I think we've kind of covered at length here, to expose. We've talked about the exposure of, of the church, surely. Um, and then they're supposed to evoke the response. And so... Um, yeah, I think, I think the conversation about the response that this is to evoke is important. So it's really like, I mean, 
all of us are going to respond differently based on where we're at. But this parable holds a mirror to us. And the question kind of becomes, so what soil are you? What soil are you? Are you the path? Are you uh, the soil that's rocky? Are you the soil with thorns? That, that may be a little tricky to sort out, but are you the soil with thorns or are you the, the, the good soil? Um, and then, you know, if you find yourself in one of those first three categories, I, the response would have to be if we desire to live in the kingdom of heaven, right? And here and now, the response would have to be a response of repentance mm-hmm. and a response that, that seeks to, okay, so I recognize that I'm the, that rocky soil now I need help. You know, maybe maybe I need you, Derek, to help me pick through some of these rocks in my life and and help point them out to me because I I'm not seeing them right now. Or you know maybe maybe I need you, Brittany, to to help pull the thorn out because man, this thorn is really choking me out right now. Um, maybe I need you to even point the thorn out because again, I just don't recognize it. Um, yeah, I. Would seem, that would seem to be the only response that we could have. Or I guess we could have the response of the hard soil and turn, or, turn away. I think that you know what you alluded to is, is a lot of the reason why it's so important to live in community because if, if you don't have people around you that know you or know your heart, you know it, it makes it you, you can deceive yourself like with what's going on in your life. But you can see something, Natasha, you can see something in me and you can say, Derek, that is not who you are. That's not who God's called you to be. I know that that's not your desire to live like that. And so that's why it's so important that we have each other. The other thing I would say, that mirror thing is a great, great, like, like visual, because I talked about like who, who's following you. If you have a mirror up and there's no one behind you, then you should know that something is wrong. If you're holding the mirror up and nobody's behind you, there is something going on. And so that would be my that would be like my takeaway. When you're holding that mirror up or when you're looking in the mirror, who is behind you? Like we know who's before us. Like Jesus, that's who should be before us. But who's following behind you? I think that about does it on time. Probably a little over on time. Um But uh, we do hope that you guys will join us again next week as we continue this conversation through uh, Matthew 13. Uh, We'll be picking up in verse 24, uh, and we'll see how far we go from there. Um, But until next time, we uh, hope you guys have a great uh, rest of your week, and we look forward to seeing you on, I don't know, maybe we'll see you Sunday. Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.